0: There are people in history who become known as the greatest, and then there are true greats, undeniable greats. Neil Adams was definitely one of the true greats. An absolute legend in the comics industry, an artist whose work had influenced a ton of other artists. I mean, he had a long list of athletes who basically prayed in the church that he built. He had amazing runs on books like Batman, Green Lantern, Green Arrow, and others. Um, He started Continuity Associates, which created a whole other kind of legacy. He was a champion of creators' rights for people like Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster, as well as Jack Kirby and others. His impact on the comics business was, to quote Adrian on the episode, seismic. And on today's episode, we want to pay tribute to him because he passed away this week at the age of 80 years old. He died due to complications with sepsis, and his family, his friends, and a legion of fans will miss him. Please enjoy this episode of Sidebar Forever as we say, rest in peace. Neil Adams.
1: Man, this has been, it's been a heck of a week, man. You know, we have uh, lost one of the, one of the great ones, one of the great ones of this industry that we all love. Yeah. Um, he's a beloved figure and some quarters, perhaps infamous, but you cannot deny. <laughs> <laughs> And, and, and I mean that with all sincerity, you know. Sure, yeah. Yeah, um, but yeah, man, this past week, um, we lost uh, Neil Adams, you know, one of the, the true luminaries, the true, I'd say if it wasn't for Neil Adams, the, and, and, I, and I put it into like a jazz term, if you will, the phrasing, you know, kind of like how, The way Miles Davis played, you hear refrains of him and other musicians, other, you know, practitioners, you know, in the years since then. Right. That's how Neil Adams was and his influence still is. His phrasing, the way superhero comics looked once he drew them, you see refrains of that still reverberating to this very day.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was just thinking about it before we started recording, uh, actually earlier today when I was just doing some poking around online, and I was just thinking about it that, you know, in terms of an artist, well, Neil Adams, in my opinion, is the second most influential comic artist behind Jack Kirby. Mm, I'd agree
1: with that, absolutely. You know, mm-hmm.
0: Jack Kirby was all, you could almost make the, the like Jack Kirby was kind of like very early hip-hop, where it was very bombastic and dynamic <laughs> Very in your face, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Very energetic and over the top. And then you have Rakim who comes along and says, "I can do it naturalistically. Yeah. I can say uh, the microphone in my hand." You know, I mean, he he just spoke it and he did it naturally, and he brought it with a certain realism, uh, a certain understated realism, as opposed to the dynamic realism of the early hip hop. And that's kinda where the things were with Jack Kirby and with Neil. Neil represented a very hyper realism in comics of an illustrator's touch. Like you said, and, and, and so you you know, in thinking about him in that way, he has many sons and daughters. hmm Like like literally connected to him through continuity associates, but also people who just were influenced by him as an artist. You've got you know, your Dennis Cowens, uh, Frank Miller, Bob McLeod, Lynn Varley, Pat Broderick, Bill Sienkiewicz, Terry Austin, Mike Nasser, Howard Shakin. Uh Trevor Von Eaton. Howard Shakin. Walt Simonson. Larry Hama. Yeah. Larry Hama, Joe Rubenstein, Carl Potts, mm. Bob Layton, Jim Starlin. And then you get into people like, you know, uh, Alan Davis, uh, Brian Hitch. Yes. Even... Even you see even some senses of it it's not probably not direct, but you see some senses of what Neil was doing in people like Travis Charet and then maybe even later on like uh, Olivier Coipel where there's a naturalism to the approach to superheroes yeah. that you didn't have before Neil. And again, they probably didn't get it from him. They probably got it from like Jim Lee and from that's the, uh, right.
1: I was just about to say,
0: yeah. Who were fans of Neil Adams and John John Byrne and George Perez and whatnot as the guard before them. That's right. You know, more like his grandchildren then, I guess, when you get to Olivier and maybe uh, uh, Sheree. (laughs) (laughs) The
1: old-ass Weston, the the sons of Neil Adams.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yo. Uh. But but yeah, he, he passed away this week. And I am a as close probably as you could get to a first-generation kid who loved Neil Adams' comics, Mm -hmm. read them in the 70s? Yes. Probably read them in the 70s, probably fell in love with them in the 80s, you know, when I became a teenager, and, you know, wanted to draw, wanted to be a cartoonist, then wanted to be a comic book artist, and I cannot understate... The influence that he had on me and a generation of young artists you know many of whom went on to become professional artists and comics and and, in other places but I just cannot understate the influence and uh air in the room that his art just sucked it up I mean you just it was just breathtaking to look at you know um, and it really was something different from what Joe Kubert was doing and what, you know, what the folks who came before him were doing. And he famously pointed out that at the time when he entered comics, almost nobody did during, during like a five year period when he entered.
1: Yeah, that, that's true. And, and I think that's probably a huge, a huge factor into, you know, why his, um, coming into the industry was so seismic you know and 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 the fact too that he was very young as well a lot of the uh artists and writers who were already in comes were like middle-aged men you know they had already been around for a while so there weren't like these younger guys it, it's not like you know younger fans have to re- recall um it's not like today or within the past uh couple of decades where the industry is, you know, has just a lot of young people coming in, you know, Mm -hmm. back then it was very much middle-aged men. So you have like Adam starting out on um, newspaper comics, like Ben Casey and so forth. He's like 18 and 19. And and you look at the work that he was drawing professionally at 18 and 19. You're like, holy crap. Jesus. This is, this is, this is remarkable utterly remarkable. And then to bring that to he he, he brought that not only that uh, newspaper comic influence to you know comics, even though you can say it was already there with guys like, you know, obviously the EC artist and other naturally realistic, you know, guys taking from, you know, Alex Raymond and so forth. But
0: And Stan Drake. And Stan Drake. Yes,
1: thank you, thank you. Yeah, exactly. Um, but he brought that in to superhero comics and it was just like oh man you know you 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 bring almost like this this um this um uh park avenue you know advertising feel to these comics but you're also doing crazy things with the panel layouts and i think he quoted um maybe in the early 70s probably once he started drawing green lantern he said look the way i draw superheroes is the way that they should look, you know. He brought that aesthetic, you know, to him. That's what he was saying that he was doing. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, really yeah, you you can't you can't deny that. I mean, ultimately it's just like he was just young, energetic, and he brought a whole just breath of fresh air through the corridors of comics that had not been there in such a long time. Probably since the beginning of the medium itself.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was obviously older than we were at the time that I discovered him. But, you know, I started, I was a voracious reader and I just became obsessed and started reading every interview and anything I could find about him. And then, of course, yeah, I found out that he was, you know, he was a kid when he got started. I think, you know, basically out of high school. He tried to get a job at DC, and then he eventually went to work at, uh, for Archie. Mm-hmm. And then as a 20-year-old, you know, maybe 2021, 20, he started working in the newspaper strips doing Ben Casey, uh, which he did for, for years after that. But yeah, bringing a, a hyper-realism to comics that wasn't there, bringing a level of draftsmanship and an illustrator's eye bringing more of the sensibilities of, like, a, uh, a Mitchell Hooks or a, a, a Robert McGinnis into comics. Yeah. And it just hadn't been done before. It just hadn't been seen, and it really had a uh, profound effect on, like I said, just a generation of, of young kids who were eager to try to become comic artists themselves or really just loved the work, you know, and, um, I remember as a young fan, you know, after, you know, after I had bought all the comics that I could afford, which were not very many, because that was at a time when, you know, everybody was gouging you for these, you know, quote, collector's items. And at the time, they truly were. Yeah. But I remember I went on the hunt. I was like, OK, well, if I can't get the interiors, I will find the covers. Oh, yes. Yes. I will find the covers. <laughs> so you know then you get into all of these wonderful covers for House of Mystery and House of Secrets mm. and for you know for all these other these kind of one-off comics you know that you would say well, why is he doing that? And then of course, you know when you finally get to Batman and Detective Comics and that stuff mm. it's really when you know there's just no turning back. That's right. you know uh, you talk about the introduction of Rachel Ghoul. Uh, which he co-created with Danny O'Neill, Man Bat, which he co-created with Danny O'Neill, um, just revitalized Batman, you know, from this kind of goofy, uh, you know, Silver Age guy, you know, with all of the huge toys and the gadgets. Which he still had some of that stuff, you know, when he and O'Neill were doing it. They, that stuff still existed, but then you, you know, you have him, you know, Neil saying, "Hey, only show Batman at night." Why are we showing a nocturnal creature in the middle of the day walking down the street wearing a, a cape with with you know with pointy ears? You know. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then, you know, that cover with the Joker. Over the city. You know, over yes. the city and Batman's on the I think a playing card. Is that right? Do I have that right? Uh I know it's
1: it's um Batman issue two fifty one, if I'm not mistaken. It's um The Joker's Five Way Revenge. Um everyone remembers that one. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Just just standouts, man, and the introduction of you know again Rachel Ghoul and uh and uh, Talia and mm. just just all of it, all of it, and you know Rachel Ghoul obviously becomes Batman's Moriarty, It becomes his, you know, other than the Joker, that's that's really his true equal opposite, his true doppelganger, his you know his dark follower, if you will. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to the Joker, who is a chaos agent, but um, but yeah, man, just all of it. Dead Man, I went back and got Dead Man. Mm. Uh and love Dead Man and then of course later on love Kelly Jones' reinvention of Dead Man is you know it's something different. But Neil Adams, man, was just like you said, just one of the true GOATs. The true greatest of all time. I mean, if someone is considered the greatest of all time, it's not debatable. We're not debating it's there's no no everyone knows. We all know it, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So um, and then, you know, I remember, you know, because I, you know, just discovered really a lot of the deep diving through Don. My friend, the off mentioned Don Hillsman. Yeah. You know, no one was a better anchor, in my opinion. Second, maybe might be Tom Palmer than Dick Giordano.
1: Mmm. yeah. Dick
0: Giordano and Neil Adams. That was the classic combo. That was. That was Jordan and Pip, yo. I was that just was. To say that. Yeah. That was that was Starsky and Hutch, yo. That was. Uh, that was the fucking A team, dog. Yes. That was. Yes. Uh,
1: oh That was man. that
0: was Burn and Austin before yes. Burn and Austin. That was that was uh, uh, Bachalo and Townsend before Bachalo and Townsend. <laughs> that was that was Jim Lee and Scott Williams before oh, Jim man. Lee and Scott Williams, dog.
1: Yes. Yes. You know,
0: it was just that was just that was peanut butter and jelly. It was just oh, it was man. the way it was meant to be, you know, Jeez. so uh, I, I don't know, man.
1: And, and, and it's funny because it's noticeable when Giordano didn't ink him. Like, you know, there would be times where on those DC comics where Giordano might not have been available. So they would put somebody and, and it would usually be another anchor who was, you know, quite able enough, of course, But it just Mm -hmm. did not have that touch, that feathery touch that Giordano would put on those inks. He knew exactly where to go thick with Neil and to go around the faces and go that, that light touch on the faces and everything. He knew where to put in, like, you know, the China marker, the charcoal, all that stuff. They just worked so well together. And it's just like, yeah, that 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 is. The ultimate pairing, for sure.
0: Yeah, it was. It was just so super crisp. And uh, Bill and you know, everybody has been recounting, you know, times where they met Neil and you know, and encounters and their friendships with him. Yeah. Bilsonkovich, who is an acolyte of Neil's and who came out of the continuity associates world. Oh yeah. Uh, and and quickly became his own artist. Uh, right away, you know, he was telling a story on his social media about you know how he would you know Neil would call him and praise him if he did something great. In terms of inking his, Neil's work, and he would also call him if he, you know, if he missed, it was like, hey kid, you know, what's up with you know page, page two, panel three? What, what's up with that? <laughs> but Bill makes the observation as a, as a seasoned artist himself that Neil's pencils were very deceptive to ink. He said because Neil would draw with the side of the pencil,
1: hmm. and so
0: it wouldn't just be uh, you know a line, and you, you just decide whether or not you're going to go thick or thin, or if you're going to you know, feather it or wh- what you're going to do to uh, to bring the line uh, to life, you know, he would, he would draw with the side of the pencil. So some people would miss that and, and leave like what he would call, I think, like potholes, you know, in the work that Neil would say, you know, he would point at and say, oh, this is where somebody, they weren't really, they weren't thinking what I was thinking. And, and so the image kind of misses in this area and that area. Hmm. But I I remember you know and Neil was great at inking himself as well I mean maybe a little too faithful to some extent but uh, <laughs> but it was always nice to see you know your 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 Tom Palmers and mm. your Giordano's uh, you know inking Neil Adams and uh, and just you know bringing those those wonderful pencil lines and those you know to to you know bringing them to uh, to black and white life but man as as an artist of course he had like you said, a seismic impact on comics, the comics industry. And he was just a really important, important figure. Uh, but for more reasons than just the art that he created. I mean, of course, he drew things like Superman versus Muhammad Ali. Oh, yeah. And Green Lantern, Green Arrow, the classic run with, you know, with Giordano and with uh, Denny O'Neill. Denny
1: O'Neill writing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And um, but, you know, he was also a a champion for creators rights, you know, He fought Marvel, and, you know, at a time when Marvel was not going to return Jack Kirby's artwork, his original artwork to him, he fought Marvel to get not only his own artwork back, Neil's artwork, but to get Jack Kirby and other people's artwork returned to them.
1: Yes. And the overarching bigger battle, too, um, well, in addition, I should say, is the Shegel and Sooster, them getting their, finally getting their proper byline back, you know, around the time of the Superman movie. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, And and, which, again, falls under the aegis of creator's rights, you know. So now you have that for all those classic characters that have been created. Now, all of them, Batman, so forth, all the way down the line, they have the byline of the original creators, you know. And that would not have been possible if Adams had not fought and won that battle for Shegel and Schuster back in '78. You know around the time of the Superman movie so definitely and, and I would even go even further man that things like image comics may not have been possible had it not been for Neil stepping out in front and saying hey we as creators can demand rights and if we don't like what these two companies these big two are doing for us we can start our own shit you know Hmm. Which he which he did for continuity. He even came out with his own comics. You know what I'm saying? He said, "Shit, we could do this and compete with them." And Image did for a time. They were up in there. You know what I'm saying? As well as other independent creators. But it, it showed that these big two companies are not quite the monoliths that they want to portray as being just so almighty over creators. It's like no. We're we're creators, and we're also people, too. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, you can't deny that. You cannot deny that.
0: Yeah, and I, I even wonder if a thing, you know, the term creator's rights really wasn't coined uh, even back then in 78 when he was uh, fighting the fight for, uh, for Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster. Mm-hmm. Um, but it might be the first time, maybe not the first, but it might be the first major time in comics history when that happened and when... You know, they acknowledge that. And like you said, even now, you know, some 50 years later, 40 some odd years later, you know, now you do see, you know, creators getting at least a a mention, maybe not great money and certainly not participation, you know, in, in, in the films and, and all the other things, merch that, that came along later. But certainly at least getting a mention as you know, these characters were created by these individuals. But going back to Siegel and Schuster, he also fought for them to get a pension, which was very important. It was a meager pension. Mm. But he got a pen they, they got a pension from DC for the creation of Superman, which they created the character, but DC owns, you know, owns the character uh, outright. So Yeah. But man, he is he's a Hall of Famer all the way around. He's he's in the Eisner Hall of Fame. He's in the Harvey Hall of Fame, uh, the Joe Sinnott, uh Inkwell or whatever. He's in the Hall of Fame there, yo. I mean, it's just yeah, yeah yo. Just I mean,
1: effusive,
0: you know. Yes, yo. Yes, yo. It's just it's just a rushing river, yo. It can't stop. Won't stop. Won't stop. <laughs> um, uh, I don't wanted to ask you, man, about some of his greatest images because you know. There are some that have just lived on. Yeah. There's some that people, you know, they they copy them and do their version of them in modern day, kind of like the uh, you know, the Nick Fury covers by Steranko and everybody's kind of done their version of that. Yeah. Uh, everybody's done their version of Days of Future Past, the X-Men cover with the back against the wall and the you know, the wanted, and, uh, poster. wanted posters, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh some <laughs> of the ones for me and I'll let you throw in a couple but Superman breaking the uh, kryptonite chains. Oh, man. Fire. Fire. Sir. Still. Fire.
1: Fire, <laughs> sir.
0: <laughs> Just crazy, crazy good. One of my all-time favorites, and this is probably the one that I love the most. Uh-huh. But, and I guess he did two different versions of it. Okay. But Superboy flying with the flag with the Legion of Superheroes, and they're all flying in a profile in the sky.
1: Yeah, and they're all flying like to the upper upper right, and it wasn't yeah. a wraparound cover, or am I thinking it about was, something
0: else? It was, it was, it was. I thought. And then yeah. I think there was a Justice League equivalent, wasn't there, with uh, with uh, Superman and in uh, the Justice League.
1: Well, I don't know if it was the Justice League because not all of them can fly. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Batman <laughs> might have been riding on somebody's back <laughs> or something. <Wee>! <laughs> <laughs>
0: But yeah, man, that image of the Legion of Superheroes is just one of my favorites. And mm. Mike Grell, who came on Legion later on, another one who's an acolyte of Neil Adams, you know.
1: Like, yep. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, But anyway, what are some, are there any others that I, that you can think of, some of your favorite images by him? Oh,
1: oh my goodness. Yes, yes. I mean, you have to dig into um, the, 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 the Batman and Detective archives. Just right there alone, it's just like, man... Not only the Batman 251 cover that we mentioned with Joker's Five-Way Revenge, there is a a splash page inside of that issue of Batman running across the sand. Oh my god! Hand outstretched, perfect, just like, (laughs) oh my goodness! Jeez! Yes, dog. So there's that! There's, um, oh man, and you almost can go on interiors, too. There's Batman fighting Ra's al Ghul, once again, in the desert. Only his cow. Oh, my bare God. Bare-chested. Swords out. Oh, my God. Man! Nipples ablaze, dog. <laughs> Dude, come on. Come on. And then you go to um, those Green Lantern issues. My goodness. The, the, the cover that everyone readily, readily probably quotes is my ward Speedy is a junkie. You know what I'm yeah. saying?
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but that was
0: that was a big deal. Yeah. That was a big deal. And from what I understand, I think they actually did that after. They had the idea to do it first. Mhm. And DC didn't want to do it, and then Marvel did the issue of Spider-Man where uh somebody gets high on acid and jumps off a building or something like that. Yeah, it
1: was the Harry Osborn um yeah. dr- LSD drugs. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and then and then it was after that that they put out the uh the Speedy issue where you know Speedy was it was a junkie. Uh but that's that is a classic, that's a classic cover, man. That one in the one where uh where Ollie is shooting an arrow and breaking uh Green Lantern's uh, lantern. Mhm. You know, and it, you know it's it's just an all green cover, but that one's a that one's a great one too. Going back to Rachel Ghoul in the desert, man. The thing from that issue that I remember the most was at the end when he pulls Talia in and he kisses her. Yeah, oh man. And I remember thinking yeah. as a kid as a teenager, man, one day, man, I want to f- I want to feel that way about a woman, you know? I want to I want like I want that to be in my future some kind of way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it was just the, it was just very masculine and just raw and it was just like god damn Batman is a dude he's not just the cape crusader and, and, and the dark detective he is a dude yo yes oh man yes and he might smash <laughs> <laughs> you know he did no bite. he did
1: <laughs> but but going back to a um, couple other images I wanted to bring up too was I, even though everybody knows that he did X-Men for like about six or seven issues you know yeah Um, there are a couple of standouts inside of those issues like there's one where um, his his panel layouts were very unique too around this time Um, there's I forget which issue but Beast he falls out he falls off the balcony of a skyscraper and he has like a succession of panels that are slanted and you see him approaching the, the camera closer and closer and closer he has this look on his face like ah uh-huh but of course Iceman, you know comes up on his little ice sled and you know um catches him or i think either angel does or one of them but just his panel layouts are so cool and then also one other thing too and a uh, very very brief story to go along with it um, when i worked at a comic shop um on friday nights would be like a lull like later in the night and so I would go around and I would get the um checklist book, right? That famous checklist book and look up Neil Adams. Right. And I would see if we would have those issues in the store, you know, so I could check them out and see, like, okay, you know, get my little education on. So I saw one, it said uh Justice League of America 91, but it was only like apparently five pages or so. So I'm like, why did he just draw five pages? So I go and I pick it up and I flip to it. And the first page is him, obviously. And um, it's, there's this, um, it's a picture of this Asian, I guess, um, sensei or Kung Fu master wet nap. You know, he's all Fu Manchu'd up and he got the goatee and everything. It's like, oh, damn, that's crazy. Even through that newsprint. That mm-hmm. that brown newsprint, the power of just that face on that splash page showed through, and then also um, there was another one that, that I looked up, you know, around that same time that I was just like, man, this this is just this is just incredible. um hmm. It's not it's not coming to me now, but I will say this: during that time, that's where I got my Neil Adams education, just going around and flip opening these back issues and just checking this stuff out you know it's just like man this is so crazy how how modern that stuff looked to me someone who grew up as a 90's image kid and that stuff still resonated through the decades me opening that stuff up you know even then you know what I'm saying in the um, early aughts you know what I'm saying Yeah. so yeah man it's just his work was just totally transcendent he's one of those guys that just His work is so powerful, like the great masters, if you will, that it's almost timeless, even though it's of its time. I will say this for Niels. Yeah. His work is of its time, but yet it transcends that time, if you kind of get what I'm saying. He's he's definitely in the 70s, of the 70s, but its power extends beyond the 70s, you know?
0: I would agree. I would agree. Um, And... To throw in more as far as classic images um, that still knock me on my ass to this day, speaking to that transcendent quality you're talking about, mm-hmm. um, the cover of uh, that Billy Jack image from, I believe, D- uh, Daily Hands of Kung Fu. Is that what it's from? That's right. That's right. That's right. That Billy Jack image where Billy Jack is kicking somebody in the face. Oh, As Billy Jack is want to do. <laughs> as Billy Jack was want to do. Shout yes. out Tom McLaughlin. <laughs> Yes, sir. <laughs> but also, man, probably my probably my favorite is those Tarzan covers, mm. those paintings that he did. And I had the, I had the portfolio with the plates in them. Yes, those Tarzan images are fucking amazing,
1: Bruh, I remember when we first met, you and I. Um and I came over to your house when we started, when I started doing the um, show with you guys, and he brought out that portfolio, mm-hmm. I was like, it was like almost the the lost arc had opened, and I was like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> it was just available for just a brief time, and then you shut the portfolio back and took it back from whence it came. I never forgot that though. I never forgot that though. Yeah. Those images are so so powerful. They're raw yet controlled, and it's just like, damn.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's really him at the peak of his powers, as as we are as we like to say. Uh, and that image of Tarzan leaping out with the white background, leaping for the branch, and his body is yeah is all you know drawn and angular, like an athlete, like he's like he's a pole vaulter or a, uh, something like that. It's just crazy. Now- um. And I did have one more.
1: It just hit me, the thing that I was um, trying to recall, the image I was trying to recall. Again, this is an interior, and it's a small thing, but at the time, there were two hot artists in comics, if you will. It would be like Jim Lee and Ty Farlane, only in this case, it was Neil Adams and Jim Steranko, okay? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there was a friendly rivalry between the two of them because they were bringing like pop art influences and other things into comics. And so Steranko was doing the pop art, of course. So there was an issue of Dead Man where Neil Adams actually drew this smoke rising. Um, I guess, you know, Dead Man was in some nether region or something like that. I remember this. I remember this, yeah. Yes. (laughs) And if you take the comic and tilt it just so... The smoke actually says, hey, a asterenko effect. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, that 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 knocked me on my ass when I saw that in the comic shop when I was searching, I found that he did that. Yeah. I was and I flipped it back. I was like, I'll be damned. That's crazy. He made that shit work.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And that was that was another thing that Don, our friend Don Hillsman, that's another thing that he was always good for. He would always point out the end jokes and tell you what they meant. Like he showed me that. He would show me if someone showed up in the background. He was the one that pointed out that uh hit uh, that that Neil and Dick had cast uh, essentially drawn uh, uh was a Spiro Agnew
1: yes in mm-hmm. uh,
0: Green and Green Arrow as a character
1: yes mm-hmm. you know.
0: You know, any kind of behind-the-scenes, BTS, you know, kind of in-joke, comic in-jokes, Don was always the one to kind of point out, that's what this means. You see this? Notice that over there, that kind of thing. And I remember him pointing out the Steranko effect in the smoke uh, for sure. And I'll give you one more. In Green Lantern,
1: Green Arrow, um, there's a sound effect um, where Green Green Lantern is oh, yeah. fighting oh, yeah. some yeah. industrialists. Yeah. And the yeah. sound of the machine smashing says, "Kaluda." Kaluda (laughs) yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) as a reference to Mike Kaluda a young budding artist at that time (laughs) yeah the great Mike Kaluda the great Mike
0: Kaluda man we Uh, we could go ahead and wrap it up do you have a personal story with Neil or a personal connection other than what you mentioned in the comic shop which was actually pretty wonderful oh man you know unfortunately
1: I never got to meet the man you know Although he loomed large over, you know, just the industry and us fans as well. Um, Mm -hmm. I think just through the collection of other people's anecdotes over, you know, the guests that we've had over the years, like in particular uh, Trevor Von Eden. The anecdotes that he told about Neil were so revealing, yet so wonderful. You know, I'll, I'll always go back to those like him talking about how, you know, Neil was almost Buddha like you know, in terms Mm -hmm. of his concentration. And he knew everything that was going on in the studio, even though he didn't leave his chair. Like, he was just the total master of concentration, but he would still be able to tell you while he's drawing, hey, you're doing that wrong. You know, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I just find that just, just, just amazing, you know? And I know that he busted people's chops as far as, like, you know, them trying to get into the industry or whatnot, but... You would rather have someone like that give you the brutal, un unadulterated truth to let you know what's up, and then if you if he breaks your nose and you come back, hey, you might have something. You know what I'm saying? He broke many people's noses, and they still came back, like your Frank Millers and so forth. You know. Yeah. So I think just the the reputation that he has, you know, not just the. You know the, um, the, the, the 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 supposedly you know sour reputation, but it's just the fact that he was so prodigious and the stuff that he did was is just so amazing that it's, it just transcends to to this very day, to this very moment. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, that, that's the best I could say.
0: Yeah, and at, speaking of Frank Miller, I remember the story where he was talking about. Frank Miller was bringing in his samples and his, and he'd bring them back, bring them back and bring them back. Yeah. And Neil pointed out, hey, look, talking about Frank Miller's work, he said he can't, he can't, he doesn't draw very well. So look, he's focusing on storytelling. Yeah. You know, and it was like, wow, it's like, okay, you know, you got to make, you got to make it work with what you, you know, with what your strong suit is. So, you know, Frank moved, you know, towards, you know, strong storytelling and, and kind of disregarded some of the figure drawing a little bit. And, you know, look where he is, you know mm mm-hmm. Uh, you know, to this day. But for me, man, uh, hosting that panel at DragonCon that year—that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Neil Adams was on the panel along with Paul Dini and Brian Stelfreeze and uh, Tim Sale,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: uh, and it was a packed room. You know, probably a few hundred people in a very you know medium sized you know uh, conference room, and uh, we talked about Batman and we talked about everyone's relationship with Batman, and I remember Brian Stelfreeze saying. He was just excited to be there because his favorite Batman writer, Paul Dini, and his favorite Batman artist Neil Adams, were there. Mm. he was just he was just over the moon, you know. Um, and uh, everybody told great stories. Neil told great stories. you know, he told some of the stories that he's told many times before, because yes. you know, that was Neil. Um, and I remember at the end of the convention on Sunday when everybody was packing up to shut down, he and I had a conversation on the convention floor for about 20 minutes or so. And uh, we talked about conventions. We talked about old creators, and and uh, he talked a little bit about his, you know, scientific theories about the Earth breaking apart and all of this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, Proceed. <laughs> but for the most part, you know, it was very warm. Uh and and he didn't dominate the conversation. You know, it was definitely a back and forth. He was there with his wife Marilyn, and he had some other folks, you know, who were helping him with his uh, his setup and everything. And we talked a little bit about uh, uh, religion too, because he was. Uh, he was either an atheist or a, at the very least agnostic. And, uh, and he and I kind of shared that, uh, that as well, but just a good 20 minute conversation, you know, just kind of as, you know, cause he remembered me from the, uh, the panel earlier in the weekend. Yeah. So just, you know, just two guys kind of talking, two folks kind of talking, but it was wonderful, man. It was just, it was just wonderful.
1: Now, let me ask you this before we go.
0: Yeah. Was when you talked to
1: him, was he wearing that blue shirt? No, he wasn't wearing the blue shirt. <laughs> <laughs> How many blue shirts did you
0: have, Neil? He wasn't wearing the blue shirt, and he was probably 70 at the time, so he definitely didn't have those pork chop sideburns that you see him with when he was in his, his, 20, his late 20s, yo. <laughs> they were <be playing> <laughs> Yeah,
1: yo. Looking like a member of
0: Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, yo. <laughs>